What a privilege to be invited to the table of the Lord this morning. And as we're walking towards the table together, uh, we're going to talk about walking uh, this morning. And uh, some of you might be totally unaware that the Summer Olympics just ended. Uh, I know that this year we watched the least of the Olympics I think we ever have before, just because life. Um, and But I did, in the midst of not seeing hardly any of the Olympics, I learned something about the Olympics. Did you know? That speed walking is considered an Olympic sport. Did you know this? So if you don't know what speed walking looks like, if you're over the age of 35 and you drink too much coffee, and you're like, oh, that's speed walking. Some of you speed walked in the middle of the night last night. You were awakened, and in the dark, you were speed walking. And the best thing about speed walking is it can't turn into a jog. Both feet can't leave the ground at the same time. And they literally have these people posted all along the walkway. Have you seen this? With these little yellow cards. And if they think both feet have left the ground, they come walking out at you with this card. It it is truly like, I I know that the phrase nerd fest is mean. and, And so we shouldn't say nerd fest. But truly, it's just like the cheesiest thing I've ever seen. And if speed walking can be part of the Olympic Games where we celebrate the greatest athletes in the world, right? Then I propose a new Olympic sport. I believe picking the perfect checkout line should be an Olympic sport, right? And and for those of you who are younger, you might not know this, but there used to be more than one cashier in a store, <laughs> Um, like you didn't have to check out your own stuff. There was a person who actually did that. It was nice, uh, back in the day, but there's truly like, I, I think men, we, we have way too much pleasure in the mental gymnastics of picking the right lane, right? Like we're the man who's been checked out and going, can we just leave now? All of a sudden is a cheetah on the prowl to find the right lane, right? We're, we're, we're doing the math of how how full does their cart look? But those are large products, so it still isn't that many actual items. And okay, let's let's judge the cashier. Oh, she's chatty. Mm. Oh, oh no, she knew their name. They're friends. Bail, bail, bail. <laughs> Quick, go another lane, right? Like if the cashier starts asking about their kids, you're like, nobody wants to be your friend. Let's go. Like it turns into this. This competition thing, because as men, we think like if I get in the wrong line, I might have my debit card, but I'll lose my man card. Right. Like if I have picked the wrong lane this morning, we're going to talk about picking the right lane because we are all walking through life in a certain lane. We're we're going to examine the the walks that we have in life because walking is a big part of the Christian life. The the whole story of God begins. Genesis chapter 3 says that God would walk with man in the cool of the morning. Genesis chapter 5, we know very little about this guy named Enoch except that he walked with God. In the next chapter, Genesis chapter 6, we learn about Noah. He walked with God. That, that's this repeated theme throughout scripture. We come to the Shema, Deuteronomy, where we're taught to, to teach our children to know God and love God and follow after God. And one of the ways that we're supposed to teach them or one of the places we're supposed to teach them is as we walk by the way. The prophet Micah would later come and ask this powerful question. What, 
What does God require of us? What God requires of us is to love mercy, to, to, to fight for justice and to walk humbly with our God. And then God enters in human flesh in the person of Jesus. And scholars have tried to estimate the distance that Jesus walked. If you read the Gospels, Jesus is always on the move. And there are huge blank spots in the three-year ministry of Jesus where we don't know for sure where he was traveling or what he was doing. But what we do know is that in three years, scholars estimate he walked over 3,000 miles in his three-year ministry. Walking's always been this important Part of the, the picture of the Christian life. Author Mark Buchanan said the language of walking, walking with God, walking in the truth, walking in holiness, keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, the language of walking, he says, are like footprints all through the Bible. The, the language of walking are like footprints. He said walking is a primary way of knowing God. And then Buchanan told this story. He told the story of a friend of his, a dear friend of his named Norman. Norman had a terrible accident in his life and he lost the ability to walk. And what he said about Norman is he said, Norman can no longer walk, but he thinks about it often. And then he said, I've spent most of my life the opposite. I can walk, but I seldom think about my walk. This morning we want to think about our walk because our walk is in a lane. It is in a line. And the question is, which way are we walking? One last thought of introduction before we jump into the text. When our oldest son, Garrett, who's a 12th grader this year, when he was just going into middle school, when he was in sixth grade, he decided he wanted to run track. There's a problem with that. He'd never been to a track meet in his life. He didn't really kind of know what was going on. And even worse, his parents offered no help. I'd never attended a track meet in my life because I don't like torture. (laughs) We'd never been a track meet. We didn't know how this worked. We get to his first track meet as a sixth grader and he watches some of these races. And if you've been to a track meet, they start off with the longest races because they hate you. (laughs) So he sit there and watch these long races. And here's the thing about those long races. You start off in your lane, but as soon as you get to a certain point in the race, you're allowed to go to lane one. You can go to lane two to pass somebody or whatever. And so he had been watching that happen. The problem is the first race that Garrett ever ran in was the 100 meters. And if you don't know what the 100 meters is, it's about this long, right? It's the shortest race that there is. It's a sprint. And so he lines up with his six. Don't start laughing. I haven't even gotten the story yet. He lines up with his little sixth grade self in lane number three. Initially. They shoot off the little gun and no one knows why, including him. If you ask him, he decided lane five looks good. Like. You're just running from here to there. Why are we running that direction? Everybody else takes off and he goes, lane five. I'm not digging this. Everybody ran in lane one on those other races. Let's go to lane one. And I don't know what lane he finished the race in, but we spent a little time in all of them. His coaches lovingly pulled him off to the side and said, hey, bud. You got to pick a lane. 
This morning, as we are walking towards the table of the Lord, what I would submit to you is we got to pick a lane. Grab your Bible, if you would, this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you can use your phone, your tablet, whatever it is. But we're still going to invite you to join with us in our tradition here. We hold up our Bibles and say a creed about this book because it's not about my words this morning or what I have to say. It's about this book. And so if that's where you're at on your spiritual walk, then join with us as we declare this together this morning. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Please turn to the book of Ephesians this morning. This morning is a really different kind of of message for me. Those of you who've been hearing me preach for the last 10 years, this is a a different kind of message because usually we go sit in a text and we talk through a text This morning, our text is the entire book of Ephesians. Before you get too nervous, no, we're not going to exegete the entire book of Ephesians this morning. We're going to bounce around a little bit. But we're going to examine how the Apostle Paul talks to the church at Ephesus about this topic of walking. About choosing your walk, about examining your walk, about thinking about your walk. And I think it's pretty fitting that the Apostle Paul would talk about that because he was on a walk that changed his life. We read that the Apostle Paul was walking on the road to Damascus where a bright light shone from the heavens, a blinding light. He hears the voice of Jesus himself, this encounter with the Son of God. And that walk quite literally changed his life. At that time in history, the Apostle Paul was in a mission against something that resulted in a mission for that thing. That thing was called at that time in history, the way. Followers of Jesus were not called followers of Jesus. They were not called Christians. They were not called believers. They were called followers of the way. When we read about the Apostle Paul, he was on his way to fight against the way when Jesus got in his way and changed his way. This this is the same walk that God's inviting us to examine this morning. And so if I was, I'm not big on titling my sermons, but if I would, I would just have the voice of the Mandalorian say, this is the way this morning. We're going to bounce around the book of Ephesians. Uh, those of you who have a paper Bible will turn around a little bit. Those of you who are just scrolling, we can scroll on, uh, around a little bit. We're going to start in chapter two, <clears throat> Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three. Here's this first walk he begins to describe. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Here's lane one. We're trying to pick the right lane, right? Starts off pretty negative. (laughs) This is the path that leads to death. Uh Uh-oh. I think we picked the wrong line. I think we picked the wrong lane. You once walked in this path. And then here's how he describes it. Following the course of this world. The first path we examine this morning is following the world. We'll circle back. We'll finish the, this portion of the text and then really focus there. This following the course of the world is following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. Well, who are those terrible people among whom we also once lived in the passions of our flesh? We've all been in this lane The question is whether or not we're still there today, carrying out the desires of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. 
We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind following the course of this world. There's a there's a momentum. There's a gravitational pull. There is, if you will, a current. We were in Broken Bow kayaking a couple weeks ago and you'd have moments where the current was actually moving you. And sometimes that was good news. And then sometimes that was bad news. And the reality is there is a current in this world. And it doesn't lead towards a rock or a slowdown or a bump on a kayak. It leads to none other than spiritual death. Following the course of this world. And, and here's what's interesting about the, the, the church at Ephesus, the, the city of Ephesus. What, what was some of the worldly influences that they're talking about? Because I grew up where that phrase was used a ton. That's worldly. What does that mean? I don't know. It's just worldly. Well, specifically, I can tell you what that looked like in Ephesus. Ephesus was a port city. It was a place where trade came into this city before it went anywhere else, which made it an important city, which made it specifically for us an affluent city. The course of their world was the worship of affluence, of wealth of stuff, of prosperity, of financial security. The other thing that the city of Ephesus was marked by is the historic great theater. The theater was so great that it was named the great theater, right? Apparently the naming committee was in a rush. The great theater that would seat, after it's remodeled, tens of thousands of people where there was an almost constant stream of entertainment. And so what we can easily say is the, the current of Ephesus was an infatuation, even an addiction to affluence and entertainment. Please tell me that doesn't resonate with somebody. I believe the current of our culture and of our society today is one which is consumed with affluence and entertainment. We can't sit still in a waiting room without being entertained by our device. We can't have a conversation with somebody about being entertained by notification. We're addicted to entertainment and good grief. We love our stuff. And, and that might not sound like that big of a problem. Man, that's just the tendency of the world we live in. What's the big deal? Here's the problem. This road leads somewhere. And it leads to spiritual death. And so if we're trying to pick the right lane, we really quickly find out this is not the lane that we want to live in. Turn over a page, if you would, or scroll down to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at lane number 2. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 17, the Apostle Paul says, Now say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Gentiles is good generic language for unbelievers. And I want you to listen to how he describes this walk. This walk he describes as the futility of their minds. We'll really focus in a minute on that word futility, but for now... I bring your attention to this idea of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. So they're walking based on their own mental direction, and yet their understanding is darkened. And here's the result of depending on your own mind. When your own mind is darkened, they end up 
This, this verbiage is tragic. Alienated from the life of God. Again, dependent on their own minds, they're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. That's not an offensive word. That literally means the lack of understanding. They're depending on their own mind, and their own mind leads them towards alienation from God, darkness of understanding. Maybe they're following their hearts. (laughs) Well, let's read this. Due to the hardness of heart, they've become callous. And have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And this path is not so much about following the current of the world. This path is about just following ourselves. Following our own minds, following our own hearts. We got this. We'll figure it out. Thank you very much. And if following after the current of the world leads to death, then following after self leads to darkness. Alienation from the life of God. We're dependent on our own understanding. And again, as we look at the life of the Ephesian people, the city of Ephesus was proud of how enlightened they were. They boasted about how they were so much more enlightened than the other cultures around them or the generations before them. Yet again, does that resonate with our culture today? We're so much smarter than the generations who've gone before us. And when we say that, we mean five minutes ago. And we're so much smarter than the rest of the world. And we're so much smarter than everybody else. And we're so much smarter than the other political party. And we're so much smarter than the person who has a different medical view than we do. Everybody's less intelligent than us. I got this. And the problem is when I place all of my hope and my uh, pride in my own mind, I lead myself to darkness. And maybe I'm following after not my mind, but my heart. And that is the mantra of the culture today. Follow your heart, whatever it says. Here's the problem. My heart is very hard sometimes. My heart is very calloused sometimes. My heart loves me more than anything else or anybody else. So therefore, my heart's not very trustworthy. And so we find ourselves following the world, which is a path that leads to death. And we follow ourselves leading to darkness, leading to alienation from God. And and by the way, when I say following self, another thing I want to say here is following after religion. Sometimes the way we follow ourselves is following the stuff we do that we think makes God happy with us. Which again resonated with the city of Ephesus. This was a very religious city. Acts chapter 19 tells us that the city of Ephesus was infatuated with magic and the occult. It also was the home of the temple of Artemis. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world. There also was a a large community of Jewish worshippers in the city of Ephesus. For over 300 years before the days of Paul. There was a lot of religious duty and performancism. People trying to work their way towards God and figure their way towards God. And the Apostle Paul's like, man, you might be trying to think your way or feel your way, but it's going to lead you to darkness. We very quickly realize we don't want to be in this lane either. What I want us to do now is I want us to, to look back at verse number 17. I told you I really want to focus in on the word futility. That, that this, this idea of walking as an unbeliever is walking in the futility of our minds. That's not a word we use a lot, and that's why I want to kind of park there, because 
this is an important word. This is a word that I encounter almost on a weekly basis. The word futility is the word vanity. It's the word empty. It's a, it's a word meaning without direction, without clarity. It's an, it's a word that means aimless. It's, it's a word that kind of means I got no idea. I mean, I'm trying to follow something and I have no idea. And I have a conversation almost once a week with somebody who says, I think I prayed a prayer at some point. I, I think I believe in Jesus. I mean, I, my parents have told me that I'm, I've, I've got this figured out and I just don't know. I think so. I hope so. But I don't really know so. And in almost every conversation, we're not just processing normal, healthy doubts. Because doubts are normal. If we're an intelligent person, we're going to ask questions. Often what I find is people are wrestling with their relationship with God, not so much because of what they believe about Jesus, but because of what they believe about themselves. Did I do it right? Did I pray a prayer of salvation the right way? Did I mean it enough? Did I understand enough when I prayed it? Have enough things in my life gotten together and worked out? And am I doing enough good stuff? Because there's still part of me that loves to hang out in that line. And there's still part of me that really trusts in me and loves to hang out in that lane. So is it for real? Did it work for me? Did I do it right? And any time our relationship with God is based on the question, did I do it right? It will only lead to futility. Because here's the answer. If my salvation's up to how I do it, I will be eternally lost. Because I can't do it right. I never have. I never will. I'm not that big a deal. If I'm trusting in my role in my salvation, I will remain parked in futility. And here's the heartbreaking thing about this lane. If that lane leads to death, and if this lane leads to darkness, this lane leads nowhere. It's really not a lane, it's a circle. And some of you have been stuck in a circle of doubt and question and wondering and hoping and fear for years because you're elevating your role in your salvation. And I'm praying this morning maybe Jesus is going to set some people free for their own saving grace. Because I believe there's a better lane. I believe there's a better way. Turn a page or scroll a chapter. Go to Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter number 5. We're going to find a new lane here. We're going to find a new way to walk, a new direction to walk. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 8 is where we'll start. For at one time you were in darkness. And by the way, at one time you were death as well. We already looked at that. But now you are light in the Lord. Hallelujah. So walk as children of light. 
We follow after the current of the world and it leads to death. And we follow after the current of self and it leads to darkness. And we follow after our own understanding and it leads nowhere. But we follow after Jesus and it leads to light and to life. Hallelujah. We Like I love that contrast about the darkness of our minds versus now he says you are light in the Lord. Like you're not just walking in light. Dude, you're light. Like, you're glowing. (laughs) You've been invited out of darkness to where light now lives inside of you. That's the glory of following after Jesus. It's what led to death leads to life. And what led to darkness leads to light. And what led nowhere leads to fulfillment. We're now the followers of Jesus. Look down a couple verses. Verse 15. Look carefully then how... You walk, there's that walking again, not as unwise, but as wise. So when we were trying to figure out this thing on our own, earn our way, work our way, do it right, it led to confusion. Here's the walk of following Jesus. It's the walk of wisdom. What's the opposite of confusion? It's clarity. When I'm utterly, wholly, completely, fully dependent on Jesus... For my salvation, I have a clarity. It's not up to me. It's not up to me doing it right, getting it right, figuring it out right. It's all on Him. How do I know I'm going to make it to heaven? Because I'm not going to make it to heaven. He's going to bring me home. I'm just following Him. This path of following Jesus leads to life and to light and to clarity. That's a path I want to be in. It gets better. Go to the beginning of the chapter, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, I want you to notice real quick what that does not say. Be imitators of God as slaves. As being under religious duty, you better act just like him or else know we're his kids. And the more time we spend with him, the more of his mannerisms we pick up. The more we see his goodness, the more we begin to mimic him as he transforms us from the inside out. So I'm not pretending to be something. I'm his kid. Since the time Bryson was old enough to walk, he sits the way I sit. I don't know how that happened. Nobody taught him how to do that. Ethan does it some too. Garrett, not so much. But he got the blonde hair, so I don't know for sure what's up there. So how do they imitate me? How does that happen? They're my kids. So what's the walk look like as we're following after Jesus? Walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself Self up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So that path leads to death. Nope, not interested. That path leads to darkness. Nope, oop, bail. This path leads to confusion. This path is full of sacrificial love for one another. Sign me up. <laughs> Man, nothing else can offer that. There's no other community. There's no other line that we're invited into that is marked by sacrificial giving love. 
And then almost to, to double down on this idea, turn back a page or scroll back a chapter, look at the beginning of chapter 4. We're going to look at another walk. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy. It's not a word we read a whole lot in the New Testament. What are you worth? That doesn't sound like Jesus' language. You better get worthy. Oh, that sounds like the law. That sounds like duty. Uh, my worth? i got to earn my worth? Walk worthy of that which you've been called. All right, I got this. I deserve this. I'm an American. i got entitlement down. I'm worthy. Here we go. With all humility. Don't. So clearly that's not what that meant. And a life marked by the love of Jesus is worth walking in humility. And gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain, here's the word I want us to circle, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Following Jesus is a walk that's marked by light. It's a walk that's marked by clarity, wisdom. It's a walk that's marked by sacrificial love. And it is a walk that is marked by the pursuit of unity. I want to go off script for just a second because I think this needs to be said. I believe the people who are living life in the other lines are watching how we walk. And if our walk is no more unified or loving than theirs, then what light are we shining in the world? If life is only found here, then it falls to us a responsibility to represent the one who's called us. And what I see today from people who claim to follow Jesus is the same level of divisiveness and hatred and judgment and unkindness as those who have no hope. This must not be so. This morning I logged on to social media because I'm dumb. And one of the first things I saw on my news feed is a a preacher announcing some dates where he was going to be speaking in the next few weeks. And the comments underneath it were, why won't you ever come to my city? Why won't you come to my town? Why won't you? I mean, the hate and blasting this guy because he hasn't scheduled a meeting. He hasn't invited himself to a church in their city. The amount... Pause. I love you. The amount of judgment and hate I've seen among believers towards people who have a different view of the vaccine than them does not represent our lane. I've got friends who believe the vaccine is the mark of the beast, and I love them. And I have friends who believe the vaccine is the actual indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and I love them. I have friends who believe that COVID is the end of the world. It is the zombie apocalypse upon us today. And I have other friends who believe it actually doesn't exist even though they've had it. (laughs) Sorry. And I love them both. 
every day we have to make decisions here at Temple for our church and our school and our daycare about how to navigate COVID, knowing that no one's being rational about any topic. And you know how we're doing that? We love you. We're just doing our best to love you well. And I mean this with, like, I don't care what you think about the vaccine. It doesn't matter to me. I love you. How you doing with Jesus? I could care less who you voted for in the presidential election. I really don't want to discuss it with you. I really care about how you're doing spiritually. That was way longer of a pause than I intended it to be. The path of following Jesus is one that's supposed to be marked by a call to unity. But I saved the best for last. Turn back a page or two to Ephesians chapter 2 again. Now that's where we started this morning. We started talking about that walk that leads to death. We've looked at a walk that leads to darkness and a walk that leads to confusion. And then we begin with these words, but God. As we're walking towards the Lord's table this morning, but God, being rich in mercy because of our goodness, nope, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ by grace, you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us, and we're walking with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not following self. This is not your own doing. This is not your own figuring out. This is not what you brought to the table. It is the gift of God. It is only the gift of God. It's only of the gift of God. It's only through the gift of God. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He went ahead and prepared the path for us to walk in this way. So back to that analogy of trying to pick the right lane. There's nothing worse than thinking you picked the right, the right checkout line only to see grandma pull out a checkbook. Oh, this pen doesn't work. Let me find another one. I need my reading glasses. Like, oh, I picked the wrong lane. And then you hear angels singing. And you see another employee say, I got you on aisle three. Somebody opened up another lane. Look down at verse 14. For he, Jesus himself, is our peace, who's made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall or barrier of hostility. How great is that? 
Because at some point in time, and maybe today, we have found ourselves in any one of these lines. And the beauty of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, as he said, I'm going to invite you out of your confusion into my life. I'm going to shed my blood. I'm going to lay down my body. Because this wall, this barrier, where you're living for you, dependent on you, all about you, I got something better for you to live for. I'm going to invite you into life, into light, into clarity, into sacrificial love, into a community marked by a transformed walk. His death was to break down our stuckness in a path that leads to death and an invitation into his life. And here's the thing about this walk. This walk is not just about our enjoyment. It's about our awareness of what it costs to get us from there to here. Here's what I mean. Um, We all have places that as soon as we step foot in them, memories just flood our minds and our hearts, right? So one of those places for me is my grandma's house. When I walk into Grandma Ty's house, some of the best memories of my entire life flood over me. Some of the happiest little seasons of my childhood. But here's the thing. When when I step into Marisa's grandma's house, I don't have the same flood of memories. I didn't grow up there. I've been invited into that family, and I love Marisa's grandmother. What a godly woman. Both of them. Marisa lived in the the backyard of Grandmama West's house. She's got memories there that I can't ever share in. I I wasn't there. And, And here's the thing. When we, with every step we take, when we walk this path of following Jesus, I believe there's supposed to be a memory or a remembrance that washes over us. That says, I couldn't be here without his broken body and without his shed blood. And that's why we come together to the Lord's table to remember. We do this in remembrance of what our invitation to life and light and hope and clarity cost him. So this morning... There's two really important questions. What lane are you in? You got to pick a lane. In the stillest moment, I, I want to do two things. I'm going to ask my friends to, to go to the prayer room in the back and make themselves available to have a conversation this morning. If you're worshiping with us online at any point in time, you can text PRAYFW to 94000. Here's what I want to say. 
if you don't know for sure, and I mean like for sure as in I'm not living with maybe, I think so, I hope so, like you're living with confidence that you're following Jesus today. If you don't know that for sure, I'm not inviting you here. I don't have the right to invite you. Jesus is. The reason he allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be shed is to invite you into this life, into this peace. And this morning, as as we're going to spend a few moments reflecting and praying, there's some men and women in the prayer room in the back who would love to have a conversation with you about how you can know for sure that you're following after Jesus. We want nothing more in all the world for you. If that is your story... you have been invited into the life of Jesus, then we now enter into this special ordinance called communion. And what we're going to do for a few moments this morning is we're going to remember together. The way we're going to do that here this morning um, is there is a, a communion cup underneath the seat in front of you. For those of you sitting on the front row, it was on your seat when you walked in here today. There's a a communion cup there. There's two layers to that communion cup. If you're worshiping with us, on, uh, worshiping with us online, just grab some juice or any kind of bread or cracker. There's a top layer that comes off of that where there is what's supposed to represent bread and a second layer where there is the cup. Our instructions, both from Jesus at the very first Lord's Supper... And then the instructions from the Apostle Paul of the Church of Corinth is that we're not supposed to take this lightly. There's actually a way to to take communion inappropriately. And what we think that means is we believe that this moment is reserved for those who are followers of Jesus and who have made that followership public by being baptized. Now, I know there's some of you who are going to be baptized in a couple weeks. We invite you to go ahead and partake this morning because you're being baptized at the next available opportunity. And so we will not withhold communion from you this morning. But if you don't know for sure that you've been saved and if you've not been baptized and don't plan to be yet, we'd ask you to just take this moment to reflect or maybe to step to the back and have a conversation with someone. What we're going to do for these few moments is Stephanie's going to sing a song about the blood of Jesus. This is a time of examination, a time of reflection. You can pray together as a family. You can come kneel down here and pray. However you feel like God's speaking to your heart is fine. We want to give you freedom in this space together. And at any point in time during that song, when you feel ready, go ahead and partake of the elements. We're not going to direct you when to do so at any point in time. As she sings, you can do so. And then I'll come back up after the song and we'll move forward in the service. But what I want to do right now is I want to pray a prayer of preparation for us and a prayer of thanksgiving for us. Then Stephanie will sing and you can reflect and partake as you feel ready. Let's pray together. Father, we examine our walk this morning. I pray you give us clarity. I pray... You'd give us insight to to pay attention to how we walk. And Father, I ask if there's 
a single person in this room or online today who does not know for sure that they've been born again. God, would you give them the courage to step out of their seat even right now as I pray and have a conversation that can literally change the direction of their life. That someone online might send us a text or or shoot us a message that can start a conversation that can forever alter the course of their life. And Father, for those of us who have experienced that, collectively, communally, right now, we say thank you. Thank you for the broken body of your son on our behalf to remove the barrier. Thank you for the shed blood on our behalf to bring us salvation. We examine, we reflect, and we celebrate. In Jesus' name, we remain in the spirit of prayer as Stephanie leads us.